listening to Dedication Point, an oral history of the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds of Prey National Conservation Area. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. This oral history project was produced by the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership, working in close collaboration with the Bureau of Land Management, the Wild Lens Collective, and the Peregrine Fund's Archives of Falconry. The series will feature 20 interviews conducted with key figures in the history of the Snake River Canyon region. We'll be releasing one of these interviews each week over the course of the next five months here on this podcast feed. This, our fourth episode of this oral history series, will feature an interview with Cecil Andrus. Andrus is probably Idaho's best-known politician. He ran for governor of Idaho in 1970 as a Democrat and an environmentalist, and he won. Andrus also served as the Secretary of the Interior under President Jimmy Carter, where he was able to have his most dramatic influence over the establishment of a protected area in the Snake River Canyon. Andrus passed away in 2017, but we're able to hear his perspective on the Snake River Birds of Prey, NCA, because of an interview conducted by author Steve Stubner in the year 2000. Stubner conducted numerous interviews relevant to the establishment of protection for the Snake River Canyon region when he was researching for his biography of Morley Nelson, Cool North Wind. The interviews were recorded to microcassettes and were donated to the Archives of Falconry once Stubner completed his book. So we must express deep gratitude to both Steve Stubner and to the dedicated volunteers at the Peregrine Fund's Archives of Falconry for their assistance in our research for this oral history project. Now we will play for you Steve Stubner's 2000 interview with Cecil Andrus. I was wondering what role you had initially um, uh, when uh, Rogers Morton um, set aside the uh, rim-to-rim protection in 1971. You would have been in your first year as governor. I assume you wanted some kind of state buy-off um, when that happened. I, I think i got to back up and tell you why I, why I got involved in that at that point in time with okay. Rogers Morton, and that was because I had gotten to know Morley Nelson. Because when I was elected governor in, in the fall of 1970, Morley invited me up to his house where he and Pat lived uh, to talk about the birds of prey and show me old Otis, uh, the, the old eagle that he couldn't return to the wild time what he was doing. And yep. duck season was on, he knew I was a hunter, and he said, now save the heads and the feet and the wings and the off falls. And, and uh, so we got to uh, feeding Max Yost and myself and some of the people that were hunting ducks. And, uh, we'd save all of those things and the scraps and, and take them up. And Morley had his freezer full and he was feeding the birds of prey that were injured and that made me aware of the the uh, the birds of prey canyon and the study that was done by blm and then uh, the birds of prey designation was made by the congress uh, uh, rogers morton came out in 1971 we went out to the canyon rim and overlooked it and and uh, Rogers and I were talking, and I said, well, now, Mr. Secretary, uh, you have, in fact, uh, protected the bedroom, but what are you going to do about the pantry? And he said, I beg your pardon, what do you mean pantry? And, and <laughs> having fed birds of prey, you know, from from my hunting days in Morley Nelson's uh, 
discussions and watching him, I knew that the Townsend ground squirrel, the snakes, the rabbits, and everything were up. They weren't down in the canyon. They were right. up on the flats. So I, I said, well, you got a nice place for them to, to store and a nice place for them to, for their nests and all of that, but they got to have a food source that is as non-interruptible. And he, oh, that's right. Well, a little did I know that later on I'd be given that, that responsibility. Right. But we, but it was clear at that point in time that uh, that it was a, a great first start. But uh, we needed more, and that's that's how I got involved. But the guy that got me involved was Morley Nelson, and just my rubbing shoulders with him and watching. Uh, I watched one of his peregrines uh, take a pheasant in full flight out there one day when we were out. Back behind his house. Well, no, we were out. Uh, in the bird next to the bird's prey area. Cool. But but I've yeah I've been out behind his house there when he throw the dummies and stuff you know for him and and whistle and touch him. But uh, that to me prior to that association, like I came off the farm thinking they were everything was a chicken hawk, and uh, you know that was not a very popular species because we all had chickens and. <laughs> One thing or another, and those, right. those uh, we didn't think of them as peregrine falcons or eagles or red-tailed hawks or anything else. They were all a bunch of chicken hawks, and uh, so I, I did learn the difference and, and the importance of it. Yep, that's what got me involved. Then I became Secretary of the Interior. Uh, now, in terms of the importance of the um, the habitat areas for the prey, do you remember Morley talking to you about that? Oh right yeah. Away? Like, yeah, this is a good step. We need to make this step, but the next step yeah. is to protect the habitat yeah. areas for the prey and more, the more, pantry, as you put it. Yeah, I, I think I created the word pantry, but it was pre- but it was from the the use I used that term to describe what Morley talked about. You got to feed the birds. The birds have got to have a, a food source. Yeah, and uh, so he said. Uh, it's here now, but will it? Will it? Always? So I, I have. You got to give that old scallywag uh, the credit for for understanding what it takes uh, to uh, to create a full habitat area for him. Yeah. But I think politically, he was savvy enough too, probably, to understand that. Okay, if we're going to get this first part, the first go round. Well, uh, we can't expect everything in the first go round. I don't think he was making any noise. Well, there was no threat. So I said, I said, the thing to do is to take what we can get in the canyon and, and protect that because of its scenic values of the canyon as well as the bird spray area. And uh, then uh, there was no threat. We'll come back and take the rest of it later uh, or what we need. I had no idea at that point in time the magnitude of, the, uh, of what we were going to create. Yeah. I, I was thinking more in my mind's eye as a buffer strips along the canyons, you know, to give them a little. Yep. And then as I became more knowledgeable and uh, I saw other uses, and uh, there's another player in here, a guy by the name of Phil Solon. Yeah. Phil Solon has... Uh, Did he graze his sheep down there? Yep. Okay. And Phil and I had lots of different meetings. You may want to talk to Phil Solon. Uh, okay. He's a very honest, knowledgeable uh, member of the livestock community. Yep. Uh, his daughter Margaret is now married to Hanson, Hanson which is a crazy, 
uh, if you think about both of their past, but but Phil Solon said, "Cease." What I'm concerned about is is you know existing uses. I said, Phil, if if we do this, I'm looking at maintaining all the existing uses. The only thing that will destroy the snakes and the ground, the Townsend ground squirrels and and the rabbits and stuff like that, is a plow and a harrow and a disc out there cultivating the land. Right. And I said, uh, besides that, all you're going to do. Jack Streeter was writing his articles by then, you know, in the Out of Mountain Home, and and I said, uh, and pointed out that they'd be producing crops that were already in surplus and further depressed the prices. Uh, it would take additional electrical energy to pump the water up on top. Uh, we did. We needed water at a minimum stream flow in the, in the Snake River. We didn't want to bring it out on top for a consumptive use that didn't have a recharge. And I said, all the things are there. And Phil was the first chink in the armor of the ag community who were so opposed to it. And uh, he took me at my word and gave me his word that he, he'd support it. Mm. And, and he did, and and I did, and he still has the AUM allotments out there. Uh, and this, those conversations took place 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, mm. But he understood that, hey, there's room for all the existing uses. And if you cultivate it, there's only one use. And uh, if if you look at it selfishly, from his standpoint, uh, his sheep wouldn't have been grazing in cultivated beets and potatoes. Right. But as you know, the history of agriculture in this state, they've been so strong because they would always stay together. They would even if one of them got hurt in the deal, they'd they'd stick together. Yeah. He said, okay, no. That's my winter range down there, and I get that. Uh, the National Guard, uh, uh, we had a little more trouble uh, convincing the people that, that, that the training range out there for tanks was, uh, was uh, unnecessary, and I, and I used that as just some of my environmental friends at the time who wanted to run them out. I said, hey, that's an economic situation to the state of Idaho. We get hundreds of millions of dollars every year from from the training range and the salaries and revenue the soldiers coming in here. Yep. And besides that, we have a built-in fire department out there that that if you burn that off, you're not going to have any ground squirrels. You're not going to have everything. Yeah. And and uh, so uh, the, we got them on our side. And we've been there a long time, so... Yeah, yeah, and it was the existing use, and we talked about making a hole in the donut, like like we did in in the sawtooth NRA when we was at the area of Stanley. That's a hole in a donut. Yep, it's outside the boundaries. Yep, uh, and that's where I got the idea, and, and I said we'll do the same thing here. Well, we didn't we didn't end up doing that. We just left all existing uses in there, and. Uh, there were a couple of uh, confrontations later to try to force them out, and we we thwarted those. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it was um, it was just a situation where it all worked, and and uh, but I could never get I could never get the the Idaho delegation to when I was Secretary of the Interior to to pay attention to the needs of that. And uh, you actually had to introduce the bill yourself. Right? Yeah, I did. That's really unusual, right? Uh, 
Doctor? Not, not on you. I, I introduced okay. the Alaska Lands Bill, too. Okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, uh, you do that. And uh, I couldn't get it couldn't get it off-center because of the opposition of some of the agricultural community. But locally, Phil Solon uh, stayed with us. And... Uh, was it the Farm Bureau that was uh, really putting up the All of them, it was the, all of the ag communities and, and joined together, and, and you can, you know, Streeter's all his old letters you've read, a lot of them, and the more <laughs> he's, he's colorful, even though he's way off. <laughs> he's a jerk. <laughs> but but uh, there's a few of them. A few dinosaurs, you know, didn't make it to the tar pits, and, and uh, that's what they run into. Uh, so then, before the BLM Organic Act uh, of 1976, signed into law in October 1976, uh, uh, let's see, what was BLM Organic Act, what the devil's the name of it? Uh, FLIPMA? FLIPMA, yeah. Federal Land Management Policy Act. Thank you. Signed into law by Ford. And uh, in 1976, Jimmy Carter won the election in November of 76. I was appointed Secretary of the Interior, and in that, in FLIPMA, there is the provision that says that the Secretary has the right for 20-year withdrawals. Uh, if they are not enacted by the Congress within that 20-year period, it goes back to the way it was. The, the withdrawal becomes null and void. Okay. Uh, uh, we withdrew uh, 486. 482,000 acres uh, and uh, for economic reasons, birds of prey reasons, National Guard reasons, uh, Phil Solon, all existing uses, we, we put that together. Yep. Um, Larry LaRocco, and it went on then for 11, I, I left uh, in 1981, my extended Secretary of the Interior. And it took up, there was about 11 years, and there was still before legislation passed. And then I become elected governor again. I say to Larry LaRocco, who is a congressman, and I said, now, God darn it, you know, there's only so many years left, and I don't remember the number of years. Right. But it wasn't that about 11 years it was. And I said, we need to get that done. And uh, it was his bill, and uh, yep. Larry Craig would have been opposed to it, of course. Yeah, he ended up uh, doing a compromise with Morocco, I guess, and yeah. Yeah, that I, I couldn't. Somehow Morley touched Craig. I don't. To the point where Craig wrote a poem to right? Morley. <laughs> and and I've yet to interview Craig about it, but I I'd heard secondhand that Morley went and talked to his like you know high school class in Midvale with an eagle on his fist or something and stole his heart. Early, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> quite remarkable. But that's that's the cycle. That's the history of it. As I, there, I purposely, when when I would, when I withdrew that, did it end up four hundred eighty-two thousand? Is that what the end up acreage was of of the birds of prey? Because, or was that what I asked I for? That was reduced there, a little. It, because anyway, I purposely, I purposely left one block of good agricultural cropland over by Mountain Home. Huh. I, I withdrew it, but I knew that 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 was the area that we could compromise 
and they could cut that out and say it. And, and you wouldn't really it, lose anything. And we wouldn't lose anything, yeah. but that would give the opposition the opportunity to say, well, we changed Anderson's plan. Right. And that's, therefore, now it's our plan and it works better. And uh, so it was, it was a very minor change, and I don't think we had to give up all of that. But, uh, but now, it, when you were um, Interior Secretary, uh, Mike Coker mentioned that you were just extremely helpful. Um, in terms of getting research money, um, any support they needed from the national office, they got it. From, from BLM? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had it in the budget. You. Yeah, well, yeah. But I was... So was that hard to do? I'm just no, wondering. that was easy to do. Institutionally, I was, I, most people back there were for it. I was in, that's the same way we got Eagle Island State Park money. There was discretionary money in the secretary's office, and I spent it in Idaho. Yep. Uh, and I spent some in Utah down in Antelope Island. Yep. And just pure brute strength and awkwardness of, is if you're there in the chair and you got the title, there are certain things you can do. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't take it all, but, but I made certain that they had what they needed, and I was wanting to see that, that area protected. Uh, they did all their research and everything, but uh, we didn't get it protected, so I withdrew it yep. under Flipma. So, why didn't McClure or, or some of the rest of the delegation, or Frank Church, why why didn't why couldn't we get them to, to get a bill going? Um, you know, I don't remember now. Uh, time has uh, dulled that a little bit. Uh, uh, it was the it was the uh, agricultural groups that that band together, you know, and and talked about, you know. More, more acreage for potatoes and, and Steve I don't really remember there was not a sense of urgency in my mind early on because I thought there was plenty of time yeah. I thought Carter would be reelected, and I knew that we had, no, we had to do all these studies and everything to prepare at first Right. and uh, I guess I didn't really push as hard as I should have maybe uh, uh, so I'd take well that's really up to them part I mean, of that it sounds to me like with you introducing the bill yeah. You're doing everything, yeah. but gift wrapped this for them, really. Yeah, and the studies are done, the EIS and is they done, and the and hearings and are they done. They didn't vote it down, they just stalled it out of existence. Yeah, they're trying to stall. They, uh, so, uh, so, we did what we had to do. And so, um, I guess McClure was extremely frosted. Uh, when Jim was a little bit disturbed, <laughs> and he was the one that, that I left uh, the acreage in at the time. Uh, and I went to him and I said, McClure, take that acreage out and make it your bill, not Anders's bill. I said, I don't care. You have to credit for it. I just, you know, I, and that, that's really pretty good cropland over there. Let, let the Jack Street crowd and uh, have that. Yeah, yeah, McClure and I differed on that. Well, we differed on several things, but uh, Jim's a man of integrity and personal honesty, but uh, we just differed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was one of the ones that was stalling it, thinking I would go away. Huh? And, you know, and uh, I did. But when I went away, I, I took four hundred eighty-two thousand acres went. But anyway, uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, disturbed. Yeah, well, I've got to look up. But he got over. I got to look up his clips because uh, Coker remembered the newspaper articles, and he just said, "Boy, it's just white hot." And I've interviewed, I interviewed McClure just a couple of weeks ago about it. He said it wasn't a matter of if the area would be protected. It was just when and how much and how big it would be. Well, yeah. Uh, but 
I said you could do that, Senator, by by uh, putting it in the bill. Right. But they they thought Anders should go away. Did Morley um, talk to you a lot um, during those final months of, of Carter's tenure? No, no not, not really. I've, I've had several discussions with him, but not a lot in that regard. You know, I was on board, so he didn't waste his time with me. Uh, uh, the, uh, his boys, Beaver, who is Norman, yeah, Norman Beaver, and they, uh, they were busy making films and showing films and doing everything they could to, uh, to uh, continue on. Right. Um, there was a lawsuit that was filed right after your withdrawal. Yeah. Do you recall uh, who led that effort? When, when that, uh, didn't that come out of Jim Watts' old fake tank in Denver? Governor Evans, helpful? Yeah. Uh, John had to, oh, run and hide once in a while, you know, from you know, some of the ag boys, but he, he, John was very supportive. I think you were helpful in, in setting up some fundraising events down there, maybe for the Nature Conservancy purchase with, uh, Robert Redford. And, yeah. Uh, As a matter of fact, we did a trip down the Snake River through that the Birds of Prey area. I got Bob Redford in here, and it was uh, it was a fundraising trip to uh, to generate funds for that purpose. I'd almost forgotten about that. Yeah, I got some. That was for the Nature Conservancy yeah. purchase, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think that was going on about seventy-eight. I was Secretary of Interior. You were okay. Uh, yeah, because. I know that's how I leaned on Redford, got him out here. And Morley did some of his magic down there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he, he did his little dances and his birds did their flying and Morley did his dialogue. And when Morley gets to doing a dialogue, sometimes it takes all day and all night. <laughs> right. Everyone's where you need a hook to pull him off the stage. That's you know? right. But uh, he's a hell of a guy. Yeah. Um, BLM district managers? Uh, do you recall a couple that were helpful? Um, yeah, the, the one name Dean Bibles has come up. That's the name I was trying to take a while ago. Dean Bibles was very helpful. But Dean okay. Bibles was way back when when we were doing the original studies on the birds of prey. He was not a state director or anything. Dean Bibles was the was the biologist that was down there doing the grunt work. Yeah, okay. Dean Bibles was very, very, very helpful. Okay. All the way through for over many years, okay. there because then he worked his way up through the ladder, and he became uh, state director here, and then Nevada, and then New Mexico, I think, or huh. Arizona. Okay, good guy. All right, um, Bill Miners. Bill Miners, yep. Bill Miners was very helpful, uh, and Bill showed him up until his health deteriorated, and he passed away. Bill Miners was another participant from the bureau that was very helpful. Yep. Uh, no, they. I, you didn't have a problem with the people inside. They knew the science and, the, and all of the activities. You said it's one of your most satisfying achievements. I think you said that in your book. Um, well, that area side, why do you feel that way? Well, I think Will Rogers probably started all when he was talking about the land. He said they just ain't making it no more, and, and that's a that's a thought that I've always kept in my mind. Once you destroy, it's pretty hard to get it back whether you're talking about a river or a piece of land or anything else. And if you can keep it in its original state, and that was part of what we were trying to do in the state of Alaska from the, when I was working on that, uh, 
the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, the Wilderness Act uh, of 64, and uh, our attempts at changing some of those things. The uh, Hell's Canyon National Recreation Area was one of my babies, and uh, that's where McClure and I worked together. We got down our hands and knees over there, just the two of us with crayons, and drew the boundaries. Uh, uh, Sawtooth and the others. Uh, you, you've got, you've got to put some, some definition on the ground that it can be used for purposes that won't destroy it. I think it was Chief Seattle who once said, uh, "I never said it was my land to do with which I chose. Only he cre who created it has the right to destroy it." And and, uh, and I uh, that was when his negotiations with the white man on on some of the reservations. But but uh, all right. You don't have to be a mental giant to understand that that uh, if if you uh, strip the land or make an open pit mine of it, uh, that's all it's going to be useful for. And, and in some instances, that's, that's a necessary and justifiable use. Yeah. But in other areas, they should be protected for other purposes, uh, the way God created it, that uh, will be there for future generations, and other resource reasons. Yeah. You know, that's, that's like uh, water temperature and, and clarity and purity and everything for anadromous and, well, for all aquatic life. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah. But I told Jack Simplot and the boys many years ago up in the Snake River, and I said, you're going to put dumping all this crap in the Snake River. And I guess right at that time, that was sort of the end of the manifest destiny and putting the plow into more soil in the West. It was kind of, that was the end, right? It was yeah. just pretty much so. And, and if you look, what do they, they call this land that's set aside out here now, CPR or... Uh, yeah, CPR land. See, most of that land should never have been cultivated in the first place. All of the good alluvial valley soils had been had been cultivated, yeah. and and the, where I hunt pheasants over in Oregon, I go over to some of the old uh, areas where the old homesteads are tumbled in. The blackberry vines take over. The soil is very poor. Uh, you've got thermal cover for the pheasants and the only thing that the other existing ranches can grow are corn and sugar beets and and uh, so the pheasants do very well over there. They don't yeah. do very well around Ontario and on a whisper of grass. Yep. Well, Kruger said another thing that was key was that that Payette River diversion, big water diversion scheme into the mountain home desert, the fact that that oh. died yeah. was really significant in allowing them to It should have died. That yeah. was a damn poor proposal when you bet. Yeah. Yeah, and now that I've forgotten about that until you mentioned it, but that that's a situation that created another group of of alliance among agricultural thinking people. Yeah, that was the long tom tunnel and all of that crap. Yeah. Oh my god. Biggest fiasco I ever heard of. <laughs> and we're gonna dry up the Canada the river over here. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about with Morley is um, I'm doing a, a final chapter um, called Tribute, and um, a number of people, he's really inspired a lot of people over the years in various things. Um, but another aspect I'm going into in this chapter is 
some lessons for the conservation movement in the future in terms of the way morally operated to, to champion the birds of prey just seems so different um, than the environment the way the environmental groups work today you know where he he worked with companies you know he worked with people um, he led people into the right decision instead of forcing them into the courthouse and, and we, we spent too much time in the courthouse but uh, yeah if it hadn't been for morning nelson there wouldn't be a bird's prey area out there in the canyon or 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 the entirety that that i withdrew morning mm -hmm. uh, nelson uh, stimulated within myself and lots and lots of other people uh, the the thinking to do things right the first time uh, you know if you don't do them right the first time when you're talking about land and water resources you'd never get a second chance uh, but uh, no Morley was uh, Morley was great at that I remember I was a brand new governor and uh, Morley and I were feeding the eagles and everything and he was doing the repair work and everything yep. and it became a national thing and, and there's some news clips and out in the archives someplace about it even some tapes but anyway they they CBS, I think it was CBS crew came out. It was, and I it, think Cronkite was. Cronkite, no, Robert Cronkite was the announcer on it. But anyway, they came and interviewed me in the governor's office, and I wore my best blue suit, and I looked into the camera, and I was just talking about how great it was for the birds of prey and, and uh, Morley Nelson, and I thought, oh, man, I'm going to be on national TV, and, and, you know, being a brand-new greenhorn governor, I thought that was just great. Well, when it came on, the guy that really had all of the time on the TV was Morley Nelson in an old wool shirt with a couple of the buttons gone to tell them that <laughs> short of the birds of prey. Yep. And Andrews didn't even get a glimpse of that. That, that taught me a lesson right there as a young fellow that, hey, you know, the important, they knew the importance was not some politician sitting behind a desk in a coat and a tie talking to him. It was a guy that was out on the ground. And Morley Nelson was always out on the ground. Yeah. Good yeah. guy. Good guy. Could um, someone make a lot of uh, ground in the environmental arena today using the same kind of uh, tactics that you used back then, do you think? Absolutely, if they had the time and the energy to do it. Uh, but in today's modern society, uh, very few people are willing to, to give of themselves what Morley Nelson gave of himself. Mm. And that was hundreds of thousands of hours of time and sharing the knowledge and uh, Pat was a great lady she'd go with him any place you know the, the yep. very speeches and and uh, and uh, he uh, he had a way of his plain old country boy uh, philosophy uh, kind of like you're sitting around a campfire yeah and he'd tell the tales and get people to listen to him yeah. and uh, he's uh, but uh, yeah, they could, but will they know? I don't see another Morley Nelson on the on the scene that huh. that's willing to uh, get, see. Morley didn't do that overnight. Oh right. Morley spent forty years. Oh yeah. Doing it. Right. And you show me one of our young guys over in ICL or someplace that's willing to dedicate forty years of their life to it. Now he was a BLM employee and everything, and he he had a modest income. Right. And just right. But he dedicated his professional and his private life to that goal yeah one thing that really helped him i think is you know he's no surveyor for idaho yeah and uh 
he had yeah. this built-in relationship with all the farmers. Yeah. Because he had great credibility on his forecast. Yeah. And then he'd always bring the hawks down there every chance he gets. He'd go down to give the big water supply forecast, and then they didn't take the cameras out. And yeah, I've got a, I got a big picture at home on the hand on the wall, a black and white picture of old Otis on my arm, and his turn his beak, just looking right at my beak, you know, to yeah. get along That's a, a whoa, isn't it? Yeah. You got anything else we need to cover? No. That was Steve Stubner speaking with Cecil Andrus in the year 2000. If you'd like to learn more about this oral history project, more information can be found at birdsofpreyncapartnership.org slash Dedication Point. Dedication Point is a production of the Birds of Prey NCA Partnership in association with the Bureau of Land Management, the Wildlands Collective, and the Archives of Falconry. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Great Turtle. <laughs>